Preventing suicide is one of society's greatest challenges. That's why the Flint Hills Volunteer Center has developed this Suicide Awareness Pact podcast. Pact stands for Prevention, Awareness, Compassion, Training. This Suicide Awareness Pact podcast will feature personal stories and professional perspectives. This podcast series is funded in part by the Kansas Health Foundation, AmeriCorp Seniors, and the Greater Manhattan Community Foundation. Our hope is to touch hearts and provide hope amidst despair. Please follow us wherever you get your podcasts and share them with those you know that are seeking help and hope. Our website and contact information is included in the show notes. Today's episode includes a couple of guests, Lori Bishop, and we're excited to learn more about some great stories. Yes, Dave, and it's exciting because we're going to continue with what the whole theme of this uh, Suicide Awareness Pact program is, Prevention, Awareness, Compassion, and Training. Uh, and, and, and as I've said on all the other podcasts, this is all about sharing stories and how what people have gone through, uh, can share their stories, and perhaps help others. And and we've had uh, some great feedback from some of our podcasts that we now know some are actually going for counseling. And so we know by sharing stories and not being afraid to share our stories that we are making a difference. So uh, our first guest I I want to introduce is Jamie Morris Hardiman. I know most people know uh, Jamie. And, And Jamie, I've known you for a long time, and I didn't know that you've got a personal story. So would you like like to tell a little bit about yourself and what that story might be. Sure, I'd be glad to. Um, so I gave birth to my child, Caden, 14 years ago. I had always had anxiety. That had been an issue for me my entire life that I had dealt with anxiety, um, but just handled it myself. Didn't ask for help, didn't speak about it with my doctor, just dealt with it and not very effectively sometimes, but kept that to myself that I was struggling with that. But after giving birth, I really had a lot of issues with depression, um, which I'd never experienced before. That was something new for me. And it really just continued to get worse and worse. I can still remember so clearly in my mind, I was driving down Points Avenue, City Park on one side, City Hall on the other side. Um, I was a city commissioner at the time. So, you know, I'm on my way to CASA where I'm passionate about the work that I'm doing. I have this amazing family. And all I could think is I hate my life. I, I hate everything about my life. I'm worthless. There's no point in being here. If I was gone, everyone would be better off. And I've been having those feelings for some time, but that memory is so clear because when I look back on it now, I think, God, look at all the things I had. You know, every goal I'd ever set in my life, I'd achieved. I was the city commissioner. I was the executive director of a nonprofit. I had a family. Those were my big goals that I'd set when I was 25. And there I was, 36 years old, having these feelings that I was totally worthless. And it just got worse and worse. I actually got to the point that I made a plan for how I was going to take my own life. And I'm really fortunate that I have two good friends who noticed that something was not right. I mean, my husband knew. He knew that things were not right, but he didn't know how to address it or what to do about it. And within about two days of each other, those friends reached out to me and said, something is not right here. You have to go to your doctor. And I hadn't told either of them that I was having those feelings or that I actually had a plan to take my own life. And I'm really fortunate that they reached out when they did, because I really, all I could think was everyone will be better off without me, which makes no rational sense. But there is no rationality when you're in that position. When when depression is happening, there is no rational thought. And I think that's what's hardest when you see people who are struggling is you know you can't reason with them, but you have to try to get them help. 
And so I'm so thankful that they did. You know, my doctor took it very seriously and put me on medication right away. And that has made a world of difference. I haven't had those feelings again since then. But I think a lot of people suffer from postpartum depression and it never gets recognized. You know, you go to your doctor for your checkup and they ask the questions and you lie, right? You know, you're feeling, how are you feeling? You know, how's this going? And you're like, oh, I'm fine. Everything's great. You know, I love having this baby. And I did. I loved being a mother to that child, but it was not okay emotionally. So I'm really grateful to my two friends who really said, you have to do something right now. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things that we're uh, trying to do through our task force, through this this whole podcast series, is to recognize those warning s- signals. Because, you know, when, when I lost my son and I went through my downward spiral and I too laid awake at night, and I had a plan what how I was going to carry it on it, carry it out. And, but I was good at hiding things, yes. you know, because, um, you know, I took that time off and, and I go back to work. Well, I was busy during that time. So my mind was focused on that. But the minute I get home, walk in that door, all of it comes back, you know, and it's a it was just hard to come out of that, you know, Uh, and I kept everything to myself. My my kids didn't know about this until just recently. So they didn't even know my family, my family didn't know I didn't tell a soul. And I know now that's not right. And ha- and and that is one of the warning signs that we see is like um, you self hibernate. You you don't want to associate. You keep to yourself. Right. You know, and, and and you're good at hiding these things, giving away prize possessions. You know, a lot of these different things. Um, and that's what I really want to do with this podcast is uh, to discuss. You know, so people understand what to look for. Right. Well, I don't know what signs they picked up on because I thought I was doing a pretty good job of hiding it. From other people, but apparently I wasn't. And I'm glad. I'm glad yes, that they noticed yeah. that things were not right and had those concerns, you know. And I think anytime we have someone who has given birth, we need to be extra careful about checking in with our friends, you know. And this could happen to anybody, but in particular, to me, postpartum depression is something that I think oftentimes goes unnoticed. There's a lot that I can relate to, not necessarily the postpartum depression, but after I lost my wife 16 years ago, I was I felt like I was in the same boat. I felt like I had accomplished a, a whole lot more than I ever had professionally. I felt worthless as a father. I felt like, I mean, there are so many challenges that's just overwhelming. And And like you, I said the wrong things to the right person at the right time. Thank heavens, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, and, and that was a big indicator to me that I needed to get some help. Mm-hmm. And and the great thing about it is that, you know, the help is there. And sometimes it's... There is a huge amount of stigma yes. to mental health issues in this country, and there shouldn't be. You know, as a scientist, by training, I talk a lot about brain health, right? How is brain health any different than any other health for our body? If something was wrong with your heart, you wouldn't hesitate to go to the doctor and seek out help. You wouldn't hesitate to tell your friends, I'm having a heart condition, right? I need help with this, and I'm getting medication, or I'm going to have this surgery. But when it comes to mental health or brain health, as I like to call it. Nobody will talk about it because somehow it's embarrassing that we're suffering this way. Well, that's no different, right? If I don't make enough serotonin in my body, that's no different than a type 1 diabetic who doesn't make enough insulin. Yeah. And, but and we don't look at it that way. Well, and and that's so true. And, and, and like what Dave said with the, the depression stuff, you know, you can kind of tend to, to, to hide that, you know, and, and, you know, my son had been deceased three days before I found him. And so it took a long time for me to get that out of my head because I blamed myself. I wasn't a good mother. I should have been there for him. I should have seen this, you know, and all that. But then thinking about that from the other side of how I felt when I was, was in that piece of depression, 
you're probably the best mother in the whole world. And there's nothing that you would have done differently. But to your child, he would have felt like he was worthless. And it didn't matter, you know, and even when you think about other people, what impact would this have on other people if I was gone? I thought it'd be easier for them, right? If I wasn't here, my husband's life would be better. Well, that's complete BS, right? That's not true. But that was how I felt. Well, and you know, and you you mentioned stigma, and and that was one of the things I want to address too, because my son died because he had a drug addiction, and that was another thing right. that kept me from wanting to say anything because he's going to be judged when people realize he had this drug addiction, you know, and stuff like that. And you know, it, it's just we have to understand that's just you know th- that's that's no different than having cancer. It's no different than having this. And that's one of the things I want to get get across too. And and like now I, I, I it's okay that I tell people he had a drug addiction. Right. I'm not going to be ashamed. No, and to you say shouldn't that, be. You no, know? and you shouldn't and be. And so, and, you know, and, and it's interesting you mentioned postpartum depression because that had never occurred to me when we talked about doing these uh, podcasts. And I bet there are a lot that go through that. I think there are. And I, I know doctors know to ask those questions, but it's pretty easy to hide those things. Yeah. But I mean, there's the same stigma as, you know, if you're a new mother, then everything that you need to be talking about is how joyful you are that you have this new baby and if everything needs to be from that lens instead of it, you know, you're no longer the center of attention. It's all about the child where it's like, well, we still need mom and we still need to acknowledge the trauma their body just went through. So we have added a new voice to our podcast here. And uh, Jamie, you brought a friend along. Would you introduce her? (laughs) Yes, this is my dear friend, Katie Curtis Baker, who I've known for some time. Katie also has a personal story around suicide. But she and I are working together right now on a new venture called True Colors, which is a nonprofit LGBTQ community youth center that we have started from the lens of suicide prevention. Kids that identify LGBTQ plus are much more likely than their peers to attempt to take their own lives. And again, stigma, right? It's that stigma attached to being LGBTQ. And the bullying. Oh, gosh, yes. And so Katie and I are part of a group that is starting this organization that will be open to the public on July 1st. And so I wanted her to talk about her story with her own son and then why True Colors matters to her and what we're doing there. Yeah, welcome, Katie. Tell us a little bit about you. All right. Uh, Yeah, so I am the executive director of True Colors, and I met Jamie back when I was completing my practicum for social work, actually, um, and started volunteering with another nonprofit you started. So I've been really fortunate with this friendship and the opportunities, and almost like kind of that unfortunate way of how I began serving more of this population. This kind of became my passion and my area. My partner and I uh, were foster parents, and we were fostering several youth, and we were in the process of adopting our son. Um, they are, they were a very proud trans Mexican young man, and they completed suicide in February of 2019 and greatly altered the course of our life, as unfortunately so many of us have experienced um, that sort of loss. So, um, yeah, I think through there, and my wife is also a therapist. We just have really dedicated our lives to working with that population, um, easing those stigmas, providing supports, um, being as educated and available as possible so that those youth do not feel unseen, that they do not feel worthless, that people will be better off without them here. And yeah, I think when we talk about it just takes a second, right? It's not its not your rational brain. It's not your logical brain. It's a moment of complete despair. And um, for our for our child, it was minutes before we found them, and um, and their brain was no longer alive. So, um, yeah, 
it, it happens that quick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about True Colors. How what What is it? Uh, how did the name come about? I'm not familiar enough with it. No, I, it's I, perfect. That's why we wanted to yeah, come show today. Yeah. <laughs> Jamie had this idea less than a year ago and rallied together members of the community who are like-minded and thought this would, you know, we don't have this in Manhattan, Kansas. So it is a um, LGBTQIA plus youth center for middle school and high school youth. And we're going to have, we have a house that we just got last week that we are in the process of renovating, but we're going to provide mental health services. So um, LGBTU specializing um, therapy services. We will also have a therapy fund so we can eliminate any sort of financial barriers that prevents access. We're also going to have a gender affirming clothing closet. And I was trained in uh, sizing for uh, chest compressor, like binders. So we can size for those and make sure that youth are being able to present the way that they want to present that's affirming to their identity. And then ultimately just a house where people can come and exist for that physical and mental safety, be their genuine selves, um, access food, access and mentorship, do artwork, watch TV, really just finding a sense of community here in Manhattan and other, you know, like-minded, safe people. Yeah, you had mentioned about um, uh, being able to pay for services. I remember back when my son passed, someone had made the comment, technically blamed me because I didn't have the funds to get myself son help. And so that's what I'm wondering. And I thought about that ever since. It's like, what if someone doesn't have the money right. to go get any counseling? So you can provide that? Yeah, so we're partnering. I I have an in. So my wife, as I mentioned earlier, is a therapist and owns Curtis Baker Therapeutic Services in Junction City. So we have been able to dedicate a room in the house to be a satellite office and that therapist will also be trained in EMDR, which is a suicidality reduction sort of like um, process or specialty. And yeah, we want people to be able to have access to that. So between partnering with them and them offering some services for free and also with some grants, we've been able to have a therapy fund. So if people don't have insurance or they have a really high deductible, you're still welcome. You still are going to be able to receive care. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to hear that because that was one of the things I thought about of people who don't have any right. health insurance, you know, because I know of some that don't have health insurance and their their fees of what they're charged and, and they can't make it income wise. And that's my fear. You won't get help because you know you can't afford Well, And for to adults, so many adults, that is a huge issue. You know, without Kansas having Medicaid expansion, there are 150,000 adults in Kansas with no health insurance. Mm-hmm. And so, and even those who have health insurance may not have good mental health coverage, right? So you might have great physical health coverage, but you don't get mental health coverage to your insurance. And so that is a huge barrier to people I know, people I work with through Thrive or CASA, being able to access mental health services as an adult. So definitely a challenge. We are really lucky that the Greater Manhattan Community Foundation is providing funds for our therapy support grant. So I'm really thankful for that because I want every kid to access that. So when we started this idea, Carla Hagemeister and I went out and met with the GSAs or the Gender and Sexuality Alliances at both middle schools and the high school and did a survey of the youth to find out what they wanted. Because to me, this project needed to be youth-driven from the beginning. This isn't my ideas of what the center should be. It's what is what do youth want? What do they need? And they made it very clear that the three things they wanted were a safe place that they can hang out and feel like they can be themselves, access to mental health services, and a gender-affirming clothing closet. Those were their top three. You ask about the name, we gave them the chance to come up with names and 
and then they voted. And so True Colors came from the kids choosing that as their name. It was not much more than 50%. So there were some kids that were pretty upset that we didn't choose some of the other names <laughs> when we did that. But True Colors was the, the majority winner. And so that's how we ended up with our name. And Katie right now has a youth board that's involved with this. And they are like they set the house rules. You know, the actual board of directors has to approve those things. But the <laughs> youth are driving the train here. They're deciding when the house is going to be open. Um, they have set the color palette for the house. I mean, yeah. they are they are intimately involved in how this is going to be run because this is their center. Yeah, and that's what I, I like, you know, with, with the programs we work with with youth and stuff is that you can do things where it's youth driven. Uh, we'll, we'll be starting, I hope, by fall our uh, teen task force. Yes. We, we have a suicide prevention task force with all kinds of backgrounds of those that are participating so that we try to hit all the different angles and, and work. And, and they're just, they're doing a phenomenal job. And I, I have a teenager now that's wanting to take the lead and get this task force going in Wamigo. And I couldn't be more proud and excited, you know, because they need guidance, yes, you know, and but let them introduce something and say, that's a great idea. But what if we switched, you know, without, you know, changing the rules a little bit? No, I think it's so important for youth to be able to have a voice. That's something that's always been important to me at CASA is that if I'm working with older youth, which is my preference, I always want to work with teenagers. My job isn't to advocate for them. It's to advocate with them and teach them how to advocate for themselves. And so, you know, that is really important to me that at this house that we're going to help teach these kids how to be advocates for themselves. Back to bullying. Do you notice that here? Because I'm hearing a lot, um, uh, not relate relationship to probably the, the climate that you're working with, but just others, teenagers that are talking about being bullied. And it, to me, it's worse than it's ever been. Are you noticing anything different? I mean, I've certainly heard from youth that have concerns about bullying. Um, a lot of the high school students I've talked to recently talk a lot about microaggressions. And so not huge bullying, not overt bullying, but particularly our Asian student union at the high school has met with administration and talked multiple times about microaggressions. They feel like they're suffering both from teachers and students on a daily basis um, and feel like they're being discriminated against. And, you know, the other groups at the high school, I've heard the same kinds of things from them. I, I think it's really sad to me that that we have to deal with bullying still, right? I mean, the school's got all these anti-bullying programs. Their bullying prevention has been happening forever. It doesn't stop it. Right. I, You know, and I, not in this school district, but, um, and that's what's nice about sharing all this because you hear from, from others, but um, uh, of a 12-year-old that uh, wore her mask in school and had to read her article and the teacher asked to remove the mask and the student didn't feel comfortable, so she just spoke louder and then, that, that wasn't good enough, ended up getting a failing grade. And it's like, uh, in, you know, I advised them, you know, the teacher needs to know, the social worker needs right. to know, but I felt bad because that person was taking out of their comfort zone. You know, so I, I, one of the topics we had talked about doing uh, coming up on a podcast is, is educate the educators. I think that's important. And I think, again, from that LGBTQIA plus lens, you know, a lot of the, the youth I speak with directly, um, it is, it's not just their peers. Because I think there's more almost a comfort of speaking up to your peers or having friends that would speak up to your peers. Sometimes it's people in leadership, managers at work, you know, our kids are going into the workforce and figuring out how to advocate for themselves and making sure that's something that I think both 
Jamie and myself have done is if we do hear something, we're like, okay, let's go with you. Let's encourage you to use your voice. Let's see what sort of areas that That's we can great. tackle this. Because, you know, I mean, as far as, you know, youth being able to wear uh, a work uniform that they're comfortable in, especially if they have a very gendered, you know, male outfit, female outfit. Well, let's, we can go with you and advocate because if you're not comfortable wearing something, you know, there's another uniform option. Or if a teacher isn't using correct pronouns or, you know, dead naming a child, then, hey, you've got a, you've got a force. You've got a people behind you that are definitely going to go to administration. And Jamie's on school board. So we also have an in there. So. So, Katie, let's talk a little more about True Colors and what all is involved in that project. I just wanted to emphasize, I think that we are so dedicated to maintaining being a youth-led organization. And I know we had touched on a youth board. Another opportunity I think is um, great is that we actually have three seats on our board of directors. So we have two middle school representatives from Anthony and Eisenhower, and then we have a Manhattan High School representative. So we also get to teach those leadership skills. As far as voting on a board, being part of those committees, we have a meeting tomorrow night. They are going to do our opening day party planning committee, which we are very excited about. For anyone listening to this, for anyone who has friends that would be able to come here, we will be a drop-in center. So people can come as they please, come as they are, access these services, and we're very, very excited to serve this population and give them a space that they truly deserve and haven't had. Um, and we're also looking for volunteers. So, so many people are always like, I wish this was around when I was younger. Well, now's your opportunity. You can come. The doors are open to you as well to work with these youth. We'll put some contact information in our show notes on how they can become a volunteer to learn more. Excellent. Thank you. Well, this has been delightful. Congratulations to both of you, and, and thank you for, for sharing your story. I mean, you, and, and, and I think that that's one of the things that is powerful and says a lot about the character that, that, that you have is that, you know, your experience is being able to share those and advance forward a mission of trying to resolve the, the core concern that we have, and that is suicide. I was telling Dave, you know, it's been exciting to watch these, uh, getting our statistics from our podcast, uh, because we're average anywhere between three and 5,000 views, uh, to our podcast, which shows we're reaching a larger market. Yes, which is amazing. And I hope that as we do this, that we're reaching people who need to hear the message that help is out there and you deserve the help. I mean, I think that's in my mindset when I was in that place, I didn't think I deserved help. That's not true. You know, you matter, you are enough, and you deserve to have help. Yes, and we are one of the Kansas partners with the Yellow Ribbon uh, International Program, and the theme is it's okay to ask for help. And so that's what we're trying to get out there. It's yeah. okay uh, to ask for help, but but to not feel ashamed or guilty or feel the stigma and and just feel free to to share your story. So I appreciate you both coming of on course. and sharing your story. Thanks for asking us to do this. I think it's powerful to share stories. You know, we we all shared that when we were in the dark that that space that we had a plan and i know from my experience it kind of ebbs and flows so if you're in a better space and you do have a plan i would encourage people to share that with a very safe person you know again myself like when i have shared that with my partner so if they notice that something's maybe off if they know what my plan was then they can take preventative steps to eliminate my access to to that yeah and that's very true yeah that is very that's something true. i always encourage my friends like just let people know so even if you're in a, aren't in a space to ask for help there might be some preventative measures we can still take
We hope you or someone you love can benefit from this series. If you need help, reach out to the many resources available. Many are listed in our show notes. The Flint Hills Volunteer Center Suicide Awareness Pact podcast series is funded in part by the Kansas Health Foundation, AmeriCorp Seniors, and the Greater Manhattan Community Foundation. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts and share them with those you know that are seeking help and hope.